Hello and welcome back to this special two-part episode of Zanazan Sounds. My name is Gagik Stepan Sarkisian and I'm the librarian at the Armenian Institute. In part one, I spoke with Dr. Shushan Karapetyan, Deputy Director of the USC Institute of Armenian Studies, about the anxieties and challenges faced by diasporan speakers, as well as Shushan's PhD research titled, How do I teach my kids my broken Armenian? Welcome back for part two of our conversation. And do these people also come to think of the language, the heritage language, Armenian, as, as a sort of kitchen language or unsophisticated, uh, incapable of um, exploring complex ideas, etc.? Absolutely. It could be a tragedy. Absolutely. That's why when they go to Armenia and they're shocked that you can learn <laughs> theology and calculus and, you know, uh, geography and so on yeah. in Armenia. So, and, and kitchen language is, is you know, I, I also got one native speaker very offended that I said kitchen language. I said, I'm not saying Armenian in general is a kitchen language. I'm saying that the type of Armenian that heritage students are exposed to mm. is kitchen language, mm. which is what? What you talk about around the kitchen table, repetitive, routine, yeah. everyday, casual, vernacular Armenian. It's true. Right? Get up. Let's go. We're late. Hurry up. Eat something. Don't embarrass us. <laughs> right? <laughs> the good old usual family yeah. talk. So, so for a lot of Armenian youth, the conclusion is Armenian isn't sophisticated enough mm. for abstract ideas. Mm. Armenian isn't flexible enough for things that I can do with English. The notion is that Armenian is not up to par, but what they don't realize and what a lot of families and teachers don't realize is that these kids haven't been exposed to Armenian in those domains. Yeah. How can you write a research paper in Armenian when it takes 16 years of education in an English context to exactly. be able to write a research exactly. paper? Exactly. I think it's an unfair expectation and I don't think we realize that because community leaders or members, at least in this community, recognize these children as members of the community, as full members of the community. We don't and expectations. Exactly. <laughs> so, and these kids also self-identify as Armenian mm -hmm. and they're very proud of their Armenian identity. But here I call it a linguistic identity crisis. So they self-identify as Armenian they define an Armenian as someone who speaks Armenian and who speaks Armenian well. And they are very aware of the fact that they don't speak Armenian well. So do they consider themselves inadequate Armenians? Yeah, I once called it a uh, defective Armenian. <laughs> yeah, because one of my participants said, he said, I'm a defective Armenian because my Armenian is defective. Mm. Yeah, so they, they, they went in parallel. Mm. And, and, uh, and so it's, anxiety with a lot of guilt <laughs> gosh mm. and, and you know and that's kind of the part that's so sad and i tell my students armenian is supposed to be a source of joy for you armenian is supposed to be an avenue of discovery but for them it's burden guilt inadequacy failure and you know their parents will say things like we saved and preserved armenian for generations at the cost of our lives and our livelihoods. 
And all you had to do is learn the alphabet and you couldn't even do that, right? So yeah. the fate of the nation is on every child. Yeah. <laughs> what a burden. Too much, I think, yeah. Um, you, um, I know that you have worked on the situation of Western Armenian um, as a stateless diasporic language, uh, but also Eastern Armenian in its diasporic Mm -hmm. I'm interested to know about the resu results of your research on Western Armenian, uh, in particular the perceived status amongst ma mainly diaspora Armenians as both a language threatened and valued by, by us all. So um, wh what was your take on, 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 on this issue? So interestingly enough, I assumed because Western Armenian was classified as an endangered language in 2010 by UNESCO, yes. that there would be more anxiety on behalf of speakers because there was this notion that it's threatened, that it's endangered. But one of my most surprising findings was that this is not the case. And it took me a while to understand this. It's not the case because there's never the mandate to speak Western Armenian at a native level. And let me explain. So a lot of these kids from Armenia, for example, they grew up in families where parents had tertiary education in Eastern Armenian, yeah. where parents came from a state which functioned in Eastern Armenian. So the expectation from the parents' behalf was that their children speak Eastern Armenian like a educated native speaker from Armenia. Yes. But there is not this example in Western Armenian. Western Armenian always functions as a diasporic language. Mm -hmm. So the pressure to function only in Western Armenian or in high-level elite Western Armenian is not necessarily there. That's one. That's, that's very interesting. That's yeah, very interesting and that was very surprising for me as well. But on top of that, one thing we didn't get a chance to talk about that I thought was so important is Eastern Armenian is a very diglossic language. Western Armenian is not. And diglossic, the, the kind of prime example is Arabic. So the difference between literary, mm -hmm. the literary standard and the vernacular. Yes. In Eastern Armenian, it's quite big, that gap. It is, yes. We don't speak textbook Armenian. <laughs> yeah, but in Western Armenian, that gap is not as big. So it's not as noticeable, the difference between kind of fancy textbook literary Western Armenian versus kind of casual street vernacular familial. But in Eastern Armenian, that difference is quite large. So th I think that also uh, plays a role. In terms of the, the relationship between being threatened and the symbolic value. And, and this is research that's also been done, for example, for Yiddish. And the research shows that the more threatened a language becomes, the higher its symbolic value goes. Oh, right. In reverse sort of exactly. relationship. Exactly. Because when it's not threatened, you take it for granted. Of course. You are not conscious of it, of its of any value besides its practical instrumental value, because what's language, right? It's a tool. It's a tool for communication. But the moment it becomes threatened, all of a sudden you realize, 
It's the biggest key to your culture. Yeah. It's the biggest key to intergenerational transmission and so on and so on. With the Yiddish example, a, a good colleague of mine from UCLA, she called it a meta-linguistic community, which is a community that's very engaged and invested in the language, but through another language. So they would have conferences about Yiddish in English. <laughs> <laughs> so they would greet each other in Yiddish, maybe say a couple of key terms, but the, the actual discourse was in English. Yes. I notice a similar pattern, not just with Western Armenian, I would say just with Armenian and the diaspora is that we're all aware of the fact that Armenian is threatened in the diaspora under the pressure and influence of dominant languages, particularly global languages like English. I, I mean, I think English has just taken on a, a different yes. role right now. Um, and hence its symbolic value, which I don't necessarily think is a good thing. I wish its instrumental value would go higher. Yes. <laughs> um, so I think one of my um, big findings in the kind of chapter on identity was we as a community, and here I'm talking about LA, are so invested in transmitting the symbolic value of Armenian that we forget to actually transmit Armenian. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. we do a really good job of teaching our kids that Armenian is important, yes. but we do a very bad job of actually teaching them Armenian. <laughs> yes. That's very true. That's very true. Yeah. Yes. I'm glad actually you mentioned the, the example of Yiddish because mm -hmm. I was going to, to come back to uh, the situation of other stateless diasporic languages um, like Assyrian, for example, or mm -hmm. the Basque language. Mm -hmm. uh, or the Kurds, how do they fare in comparison with Western Armenian? Again, this is kind of another funny anecdote. I go to all these conferences dedicated to heritage languages, diasporic languages, endangered languages, and I'm usually the one Armenian, and all the representatives of the other languages will corner me at one point and say, how do you guys do it? <laughs> right? The perception is that the Armenians have it down, that we've somehow figured this out. And of course, my joke is, guys, we're not doing any better than you are. <laughs> we have all the same issues. It's quite surprising to see just how similar the situation is. Oh, interesting. Mm. Um, very, very surprising. Uh, I mean, I also teach a class at um, Kane University in New Jersey on teaching Hindi Urdu as a heritage language. Right. And it's really nice to look at the situation of others because, you know, the, the kind of narrative inside the Armenian communities, okay, it's so hard. We have two modern standards, not just one, two. And then you go and you talk to, you know, folks from the South Asian community and they're like, we have 112 varieties, right? Two different alphabets. Because yeah. our story is two modern standards and two spelling systems. Can you believe it? And I'm like, how about two different alphabets? <laughs> so it's a good kind of good sense of perspective when you see what yeah. other communities are dealing with. But it's a struggle all across. It's a uphill battle to maintain mm. a heritage language in a dominant society because it's it's very simple. Children are very perceptive, very mm. smart, very manipulative, and very <laughs> need-based. <laughs> yes. So the moment a child realizes they don't need to use the home language, mm. they can choose to stop using it. And they will ask you, why should I continue speaking? Exactly. And, and, and it, very often it's very difficult to answer that question. 
It is. Mm. I had my, uh, my 13 year old now, I think she was six or seven. My husband probably said, why aren't you speaking Armenian at home? And she threw a fit, lay on the floor and said, if you want me to speak Armenian, why aren't we living in Armenia? Gosh, there you are. And then you have to- Silence. Silence, dead silence. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because there was nothing any one of you could have have said to do that. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Um, I was um, truly fascinated by the, um, uh, the AGBU web talk you gave last year, I think. In particular, the way you described it and analyzed the status of heritage and um, dominant languages in, in the diaspora, diasporic setting was an exact projection, reflection of what we went through with our daughter, who was born in this country and, of course, grew up speaking Armenian, then started learning English when she went to, to her, her nursery school. And uh, she knows exactly where to use which language. When I was listening to you, um, everything was coming back to me, actually, um, uh, her language uh, acquisition. How could the incomplete acquisition of the heritage language be remedied, do you think? What should we do? I think we need to have realistic expectations. Mm. Uh, we're not going to produce native speaking children in a non-native context. I think that's an unfair imposition on us as parents, on us as community members, and especially on the children. I think what we need to determine is as a non-dominant language, what role do we want Armenian to play? Do we want it to stay at the kitchen level or mm. do we want it to go beyond that? And, and, you know, this is something I get asked all the time, and this is a conversation we have all the time. No matter what you do, your child will become English dominant, let's say, in the American and UK context. Of course. That's, Period. goes Period. without saying, yes. No. no, unless you lock your child <laughs> in your home. And even if you do, you better take out the television and the screens. <laughs> So and, and the internet hub. Exactly, exactly. So that's one. I think we, uh, you know, in Armenian we say oh, yeah. So let's 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 kind of sit crooked and talk straight. Yes. We need to understand how the, the mechanism of language acquisition. The mechanism is very simple: input and opportunities for output. The way language is developed is how much exposure a child has to that particular language and what need and opportunity they have to produce the language. Mm -hmm. So if we want to increase the proficiency of our children's Armenian or of our diaspora community members Armenian, we need to make sure we're actually providing them with maximum input. But on top of that, providing them real authentic opportunities for output. To to use. To use the language. Exactly. So, you know, just was it two weeks ago, um, I was talking to someone on Instagram, this is a new platform, right? An Instagram I've, live. I've heard about it. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm two weeks old on Instagram, <laughs> so I'm figuring it out. So, you know, and, and I get this question, well, what should we do? One, if you're a parent who thinks or evaluates your Armenian as broken, get over it. Yes. Whatever Armenian you have, speak it, use it with your child. I think a lot of uh, parents have complexes about their own Armenian proficiency. So their, their logic is because my Armenian is not perfect, because my Armenian is not literary, is not pure, it's not worth transmitting. That's not the case at all. 
Mm. So you should not think about that. You should not worry about that. Whatever Armenian you have, use it with your child. Two, invest in the folks in, around you, in your community, whether those are grandparents, whether that's a nanny. Like in my personal case, my number one priority in choosing a nanny besides safety and you know care is how proficient is my nanny in Armenian? And most importantly, I have to make sure she doesn't know English, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, and again, we're so lucky in LA that we have these opportunities. My kid goes to a chess class where the teacher speaks Armenian. So this is very important. She does something fun and interesting and yes. smart through <laughs> Armenian. Yes. So, and you know, I secretly talk to the chess teacher who knows English and I say, make sure you don't speak English with Arif. But Arif doesn't know that. Arif doesn't know that one of my goals in having an Armenian chess teacher is to improve her Armenian. She just thinks she's having fun playing she's chess. Fun. She's having fun with Armenian. Exactly, exactly. We can't wag our finger and say, you need to speak Armenian for the sake of knowing Armenian. Yeah. No. no, find something that your kid loves to do, wants to do and provide that, serve that through Armenian. Armenian has to be a means, not an end. How do I expose my child to quality, to a good quality and quantity of Armenian, mm. while also giving them an opportunity to engage with Armenian, but not because it's a burden or because it's imposed or because for your patriotic or national idea. And that's all great. We all have those in the back of our minds, right? It's a baggage. It's the ba Yes. Let's at least hide the baggage for a while <laughs> because it's too much. Because, you know, the alternative is I don't need this baggage. Mm. The alternative is of that course. one day this child is going to grow up and yeah. say, you know what? Enough is enough. Yes. You're Armenian and you can <laughs> do your thing. Yes. I'm done. I'm done. Enough. Who wants to feel guilty and inadequate all the time? I'm sure you know that it happens a lot, actually. Absolutely. The reaction and, you just described. Mm. And one thing that's, and again, this might be different in other communities. Here in LA, it's not enough that these kids don't speak their own variant well enough. Then they're encountering other variants. So that anxiety is now double, triple. Yes. yes. If you're an Eastern Armenian child and now you're going to Homanetman and your coach speaks in Western Armenian, now you're terrified even more that you might not understand it or might not respond. And the teasing is now double, triple. Yeah, so, so the easy choice is switch to English. Mm. If we don't have a high tolerance and a high level of sensitivity for these mm. kids and what they're going through, it's very simple. They're just gonna snap their fingers, switch to English and continue feeling guilty. <laughs> yes, uh, you are so articulate in describing, defining, uh, explaining what every one of us has seen. And uh, not only you're doing it, but you're also suggesting remedies, uh, how to put it right, how to make the language relevant at a, at a higher level. Mm -hmm. So the, the children who already have some uh, army and some, some of this heritage language that we have, know that they can improve, it can be improved, it can go higher. It, it doesn't need to stay at, the, um, at that mm -hmm. level. They, uh, they enter this destructive cycle you have so um, excellently described in your thesis. Now, uh, at the beginning, we mentioned not only 
your work in academia, but also the work you do in the community. I'm sure many of our listeners would, would like to hear more about that, what, uh, what, what you do. Besides researching and writing about this, I think we realized, and again, this goes back to something I said earlier, that you, know, you can do research and publish in academic journals, but how many of your community members will be reading those academic yeah. journals? So um, there are a group of us you know, who work on subjects like these, and we realize that this material needs to be made accessible to community members. So uh, at some point, now they're not so active, but at some point there were three committees, three task forces just in LA working on promoting and cultivating Armenian. So one was you know, more narrow just in one school, one was in all prelacy schools, and the third was the entire community. Whether you're in an Armenian school, whether you're in a public school, whether you're engaged, not engaged, and so on. And you know, this comprised anything from giving talks at community events, from um, training teachers at Armenian schools. That's, a, that's a, another very, very interesting area to talk about. How are we presenting Armenian to our children? Yes. Sometimes, with the best of intentions, we are actually demoting Armenian by trapping it in the boundaries of the Armenian language classroom, right? What we're teaching our kids is Armenian only for things Armenian. Armenian, not for the world. We are actually complicit yes. in, in yes. this compartmentalization. So a lot of work on, on issues like this, on error correction. A lot of teachers believe very firmly that error correction is very productive, that every time a child makes an error, you have to call them out and use the red pen. Yes. And research actually shows error correction in some context is actually not productive at all. At the Institute of Armenian Studies, where I've been for the last two years, I started a new... Um, YouTube Instagram series called Word of the Day, where um, I'll take, you know, people will say, well, how do you say X word in Armenian? So we'll do the etymology in English. And, and, and that's very intentional, doing the etymology in English to show that English borrows from all languages. <laughs> <and laughs> yes. Comfortable with it. Without a complex. Without a complex, without a chip on its shoulder. <laughs> And also because English and Armenian are both Indo-European languages and share a lot of similar roots. So, and then we'll do the etymology of the Armenian word and in not with the, the kind of mean teacher with a stick in her hand is, yeah. is the idea here. So this is someone smiling, someone engaged. So that's, that's, that's really kind of fun to do on my end. And we have a lot of positive feedback on the word of the day series. And then about a year ago, I started a podcast called Language Therapy with Dr. K. And this really started with comments from my students. A lot of my students in my language classes would say at the end of the semester, this was a very cathartic therapeutic experience. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I thought, okay, a lot of people are going through this. A lot of people have language related baggage, <laughs> right? Yes. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it both in the academic theoretical level, but also on the everyday level. Um, so on the practical, on the ground level. So the podcast kind of talks about anything from, you know, bilingualism and the best kind of academic, theoretical, research-based notions with some of the best experts in the world to comedians in LA who use both Armenian and English, yes. right? To maybe the language of food, right? How is, you know, language and food connected and music and so on and so on. So I think the idea is to be as accessible as possible so that 
as many people as possible can take advantage of these resources. Yeah. As a teacher of language myself, um, I was uh, very interested to learn more about your initiative at um, reforming Armenian language instruction. I know that you teach language teachers how to teach. Uh, <laughs> And perhaps, uh, so it can apply to any language, really. You don't need to know the language, but you, you, you're telling uh, teachers how to teach the language. I, I find that very fascinating, that this method that can be applied mm -hmm. to any, any language teaching. Earlier, I think you, in passing, you mentioned uh, these, these dual immersion schools. I don't think many people know about these. Perhaps people in Los Angeles do, but outside... It's a concept unknown. So even people in Los Angeles don't know about these. <laughs> so folks in LA, <laughs> this is for you too. So some years ago, maybe 15 years ago or so, the Glendale Unified School District, and Glendale is a city in Los Angeles for those who are not from LA and who don't have the context, that about 40% of its population are folks with Armenian heritage. Mm. And... Armenian is the first language spoken in the city of Glendale, and then English, and then Spanish. How come? More people in Glendale speak Armenian than they do English, because so many Armenians live here, and because so much of life can be carried on in Armenian. Armenian. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, when I was teaching at Glendale Community College, I had non-Armenian firefighters, police officers, city employees, doctors, other professionals studying Armenian, the city of Glendale turned all of their elementary schools into dual immersion magnet programs. And they did this in seven languages. I'll list the languages and then I'll describe the program. So Armenian, Spanish, Italian, German, French, Korean, and Japanese. And what dual immersion means is that you have one class of students half of whom are native speakers of one language, half of whom are native or heritage speakers of another. And they spend the entire day going through the curriculum in two languages and learning and supporting each other. Now, the languages that have a Latin-based alphabet, like Italian, um, German, French, and Spanish, they have a 90-10 model, which means when your child enters this program at kindergarten, 90% of instruction is in Spanish, 10% of instruction is in English. Right. And then every year English instruction goes up 10% so that by fifth or sixth grade, it's 50-50. Mm -hmm. And the assumption is the world is in English. They already have a lot of support in English. We need to support the new language, right? Mm -hmm. With Armenian, Japanese, and Korean, it's a 50-50 model, which means half of the instruction is in Armenian, half of the instruction is in English. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people think this is doing the same thing. So we do whatever we did in English, then we do it in Armenian. That's not the case. They take the state curriculum. Let's say it's the curriculum for first grade. And let's say the curriculum says math in the morning, social science in the afternoon. So in the month of September, the morning will be in Armenian, the afternoon will be in English. So if math is in the morning, we're doing math in Armenian in the morning. If it's social science in the afternoon, we do social science in English. And then in October, we switch. Gosh. Mm. So they go through all the subjects mm. in both languages. And what's very, very important here, going back to you know, Armenian private schools, Saturday schools, Sunday schools, the, what's very attractive for me 
is that there is content instruction in Armenian. So in typical Armenian private schools or one day schools, Armenian is only for things Armenian, right? In Armenian class, you learn grammar, you learn Armenian history, you learn religion. Mm. Here, you learn about Albert Einstein in Armenian, you learn about President Barack Obama in Armenian, mm. you learn about geography in Armenian. Everything is accessible through mm. Armenian. That's the beauty of it is to create bilingual, biliterate children for whom both languages are languages of discovery. Mm for everything, not just for certain things. Yes. The languages are not compartmentalized and it works. Gagik, when you watch the way these teachers do it, middle of the day comes when they need to switch languages, the teacher will literally snap her fingers. There are actual visual signs because you know, these kids start at age five. So yeah. they need a lot of support. And actually in the earlier years, they have two different teachers because the kids have a hard time associating that the same teacher can switch. So the Armenian teacher is always one person, the English teacher is another, mm -hmm. and the Armenian teacher can never break code. If they see them in the lunchroom, if they see them in the bathroom, if they see them outside of school, the Armenian teacher always and only communicates in Armenian. Gosh. It's interesting at later grades, they'll be like, you know English? <laughs> so, and then in older grades, it's the same teacher, but they have visual cues. So snapping the finger or turning on a different color or whatever it is. So both my children have gone through this program and it's just, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal because it solves a lot of our issues. So it solves the exposure issue. Your yes. kids are exposed yes. to good quantity and good quality language. Mm. It solves your need issue because they need it to complete, to learn to get a good grade, to look good in front of the teacher, in front of their yes. peers. And it solves the output issue because they actually have opportunities to use Armenian to produce, and in smart settings where they're doing smart things, good. not backward, I'm, and I'm quoting here, right? Not the way they're used to, right? Armenian for genocide. Yes. Right? Um, yeah. Armenian for grandma and grandpa, but not Armenian for robotics. Yes. Not Armenian for video yes. games. Video games, exactly. Mm. Yeah. So I think uh, this element of it, you know, I, we, my colleague and I have this story that in Armenian schools, you know, you're a first grader and you learn Surenunabastaka. I'm just giving an example. And then second grade, Surenunabastaka. Again, by fourth grade, Suren still didn't catch the Napastaka, right? Suren and the bunny. <laughs> and the idea is <laughs> let's finally catch the bunny and move on and to And move forward. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, this is the best analogy in that in this dual immersion program, you're moving with the state. By fourth, fifth grade, my kids are learning the solar system in Armenian. Yes, gosh. I don't think I know all of the planets in Armenian, right? So I think this element of elevating the prestige of Armenian to a language that's worthy of every subject. Yes, I think psychologically, it also equalizes yes. the two languages, the dominant one and yes. the, the heritage language one. And the children are very perceptive. They will feel this very, uh, very quickly. Absolutely. It's free. It's in the public really? school system. It is public school system, right. Now it's growing in the Los Angeles Unified School mm. District as well. Mm. So I certainly haven't heard anything about, I mean, in Europe, it's even unthinkable in a country like France. And I don't mm -hmm. think this will be uh, something um, uh, which will be encouraged. Well, um, I don't know about you, 
But I think this conversation has opened the door <laughs> another future podcast with you. There's so many things to, to talk about. I mean, um, and vice versa, by the way, I have a, I also have podcast ideas where I will be interviewing you. <laughs> Perhaps I shouldn't have mentioned it, but um, the cat is out now. <laughs> really, there are so many other facets of, of heritage language that um, not just Armenian, of course, that can be explored through um, uh, conversations like this. I think this is what interesting conversations do uh, to people. Yours in particular, really, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, so thank you very much, Dr. Shushan Karapetyan, for being our guest today. And um, thank you to our audience for listening. Uh, I hope there'll be many of you. And if you liked what you heard, please share it with your um, friends and come back for more. Thank you very much. Thank you, Shushan. <laughs>